So Chrissy uh, looked through the Lord's Prayer, the start of the Lord's Prayer, um, and Chrissy uh, went through our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 27 words. I'm doing, give us this day our daily bread. Seven words. <laughs> but I've been told it's fair. So let's crack on. <laughs> I think the thing um, is, this, this year, we've all had expectations. A new year, new me. Expectations, what's going to happen? It's all going to be different. It's all going to be wonderful. And so um, we've got two and a half weeks left. So two weeks on Wednesday, you're all going to be picking things to give up for Lent because it's that time already. Christmas has just gone. Easter's here. So I've been spending a bit of time to try and manage my own expectations. Who let Phil, Aaron, Danny sit together? <laughs> Who made this mistake? I'm watching you two. You'll be sent to the back. Um, oh, and Denise is there. Oh, here we go. Right. Um, so the thing about Lent is we have these expectations of ourselves. I'm going to give up this and I'm going to do it for 40 days and it's going to be easy. Um, but I think often uh, either we give up something that's a bit too easy or we give up something that we can't give up for that long. I know that many years have gone past where it's got to the fourth or the fifth day of Lent and I think, oh, I was meant to give something up. At which point I start to backtrack over things I haven't done in the last five days, which means past sacrifices have included marmite, baked beans, vegetables. But they don't really count. I couldn't justify them as a sacrifice because if I never saw a carrot again, my life wouldn't be much different. So this year I've made a real effort what can I give up for Lent? What can I deny myself with that will give me a really small insight to what Jesus sacrificed for us? It's pizza. I'm going to give up pizza. And I'm sorry, after church, no pizza for me means no pizza for you, but don't blame me, I don't make the rules. And I, I, to be fair, I haven't, actually, I haven't actually had pizza this year more than three or four times. Five times. Yeah, so I haven't had pizza more than six times this year. But thinking about it made me feel really nostalgic, and I start to think about pizzas we lost last year to my belly. And there were, there were many. Um, and when you think about good things, you often think about bad things. So I was thinking about, oh, the wonderful pizzas, and then I thought of the monstrosities that I was confronted with last year, Two examples of which um, came from Joel Tucker. Uh, I once watched him eat a pizza with a fried egg on it, and it made me feel ill. That's normal, he says. Well, I've, uh, I've a friend called Graham who isn't here, which is probably a good thing, because he, uh, he eats banana on his pizza, and I'm pretty sure that's, um, that's a hate crime. Um, but... Uh, a couple of months ago, we, um, we being me and the after church, 
uh, had a retreat on the island. We went to the Coat Hills. We had a few sermons, um, did some worship, spent time with one another. And one of those occasions that we spent time together was Otto. We went to Otto and we ate pizza and we spoke about what we were grateful for. At least 60% of pizza is bread. Therefore, we could count it as our daily bread. It's just give us this day our daily pizza doesn't have the same ring to it. Although I think that might be the message translation of that verse. So the idea of daily bread, meaning pizza, isn't that far off. It isn't that ridiculous because it does mean pizza as much as it means any food. And not just food either, it means shelter, it means water, it means friendship, it means family, it means comfort and peace, it means everything we need to live well. God provides for us. In his account of Jesus' life, Luke tells the story of the feeding of the 5,000. We see Jesus using five loaves and two fish to feed everyone who had come to hear him speak, and they all left with full bellies and full hearts. And it's difficult when we reference that story because if you had any form of faith upbringing, whether that was at home, whether you came to church, whether you um, spent time at school in assemblies listening to people talk about Jesus, everyone knows that story. And we all sort of go, yeah, yeah, feeding the 5,000, okay, we've got that. But he fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. It is incredible. It's literally miraculous. But we all know that story, and we take it for granted. And in that account, we see God providing through a miracle. We see him tearing apart a loaf of bread more times than is humanly possible and feeding everyone who had come to hear him. Imagine the faces of everyone around that. Imagine their faces when they saw him just keep pulling bread out of this loaf. Imagine their faces when he took one fish and split it 2,500 times. It would have been incredible. And then imagine the look on their friends' faces when they got home and they said, you'll never guess what happened today. Well, they wouldn't believe them, would they? They'd think they were lying or that they'd been drinking. But after a couple more people come through the door and said, no, really, this happened, they would have to admit that a miracle was performed and that every person there had received God's provision, literally their daily bread. And we often hear of stories about God working miraculously, amazing ways in our lives. We hear of people being cured of seemingly incurable health conditions. We hear of people having babies, even though they've been told they wouldn't be able to. We hear of stories of people in the deepest, darkest depths of addiction who are brought back into faith through God. And all of these things are incredible. And they're all examples of God's provision, and they all happen but they don't always happen to us. The problem with these stories is we tend to hear about them happening to someone else. And I'm sure there are some of you thinking, well, actually, it did happen to me. But you are in the minority. Because there will likely be more people in this room who are still waiting for that life-changing, faith-affirming provision from God. I just changed tack a minute. I... Um, I'm really bad for Facebook groups, right? I 
Don't know why I still have Facebook. I've had it since I was 11. I lied about my age to get it. I'm not proud of it. But I spend a lot of time just going through all these different Facebook groups. I never, never comment anything. I just like to look. Um, specifically ones that sell things. I um, am subscribed to the Guernsey Press. I get it on my iPad every day. I have never read a headline. I go straight to the classifieds because I find things people are selling really interesting. And I think I could buy that. That'd be great for me. I, we do need a three-story rabbit hutch. <laughs> I can't help it. I just immediately think this is what I'm going to have in my life. At the minute, much to Ellie's dismay, I'm in one for musical instruments. It's this close over Christmas to buying a banjo. This close. I can't play a banjo. But in my head, I see it, and for the next 10 minutes, that's all I want in my life. I'm going to buy that instrument. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to master it. I'm going to become a world-famous banjo player or accordionist or hurdy-gurdy enthusiast, and I'm going to just be everything about that instrument. And people will come from miles to hear me play. And then I very quickly get bored of the idea and move on to the next thing. But the worst of all of these groups, because they are terrible, is um, there's a free cycle type app. Um, so those of you who, um, it's not an app, it's a page. I felt very old then when I got my technology wrong. Um, but it's uh, a, a page for free things on Guernsey. So if someone's got something they don't want, they put it on this page, and people say, actually, yes, I do need um, six bags of cement. I'll be over now to pick it up. And it's really great, okay? So it stops waste, and it's got all these positive sides. But at least once every week or two, there'll be a post where someone says, and they're well within their rights, they're allowed to do this, they'll say, has anyone got any of this? I'm looking for X. Has anyone got any of that? I really need X. And then sometimes people will say, yeah, of course we do. And that's the end of it, and they'll exchange, and what a wonderful world we live in. But every now and then, someone will say, oh, yeah, I have that. And they'll put a photo up. And the person will say, oh, well, I was looking for something a bit more modern. Or, mm, it doesn't really go with that colour scheme at home, actually. Or, oh, okay, I'll take it, but only if you drop it round to my house. And it just boils my blood. Because these people are ungrateful. These people have been provided for, yet they're not happy with what they've got. Later on in Luke, Jesus says, I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. This can be understood in two ways. Firstly, that God will provide. Don't spend time worrying about how or when. It's, it's going to happen. But we'll talk about that later. Secondly, just don't worry about it, full stop. If it fits you, don't worry. Wear it. Don't worry. If it keeps the rain off your head, don't worry about it. Stay there. If it keeps you warm at night, don't worry about it, use it. We can spend far too much time and energy worrying about what we want rather than what we already have. As Luke says, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Too often we focus on what others have, and try and align ourselves to their lives. We say, they have this, and I don't, and therefore it's not fair. Well, the truth is, 
It doesn't work like that. The world doesn't work like that. God has provided for each of us depending on our needs. But this provision rarely, unfortunately, takes the form of an anonymous check in the post for a couple of million. God provides us with opportunities. He steers us in the right direction. We all know that God opens doors for us, but he closes them too. Because he knows how they end, how those paths end. That's an example of God providing. We're shown God's path by the actions we take. For example, if you think you've heard God speak to you and he's telling you to sell all of your worldly belongings and move to Croatia, but you find that no one wants to buy your stuff and you can't afford to sell your house and your passport expired without you noticing and flights are getting cancelled and luggage is getting lost and visas aren't going through, perhaps God isn't telling you to move. Now, of course, God tests us. He might put difficult things in our paths um, to make sure that we have what it takes. But if you feel like you're constantly hitting a brick wall, perhaps pray on it. Perhaps think about what God is providing you. He's providing you with a closed door. He's providing you with the opportunity to move away from a mistake. A real-life example of this, I think, is the story of how I ended up here, and it's a story that I've told loads. So I'll just give you the, um, the shortened version. Um, I was listening to worship music in my um, little flat in Evesham when uh, using ad blocks and no advert should get through. And then an advert popped through and it was an advert for a Christian dating website. And I thought, well, I've nothing better to do. So I downloaded it on my phone. And within an hour, I was talking with Ellie. And then we met and decided we liked one another. And I applied for a job in Guernsey. And I received the last permanent contract that Lamar school were allowed to give out. Everything fell into place through that decision. It wasn't too tough for me to get here because it was God's plan, because God was showing me the path, because he had provided for me. He had led me to where, um, to where I should be, this life where I have an amazing wife and great friends and a wonderful job and a really awesome church family, which is all provided to me as my daily bread. Yeah, sure, I could have prayed that Ellie was a baroness set to inherit a huge corporation. I could have prayed, I could have prayed that the um, job that I have here also came with a company car and the eldership team were obsessed with Jaguars. I could have prayed for that. I could have prayed that God gave me the winning lottery numbers. But it's not what I needed. If it were, he would have given it to me. God gave to me, is giving to me, continues to give what I need. We are all recipients of God's provision. But what we need to do is learn to look at the wealth we already have in our friends and our family and our faith instead of looking to our neighbours and being jealous of what they've got. Now, the, winning, uh, the award-winning 90s rapper Coolio and I have got a lot in common. Too many things, really, to go into now, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Um, but one I want to focus on is our shared love for Psalm 23. And all of you know it. Um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God is providing these things to us. So long as we follow him, because he is a shepherd, so long as we, the sheep, follow him, he will give us these things, calm, still waters, green pastures, restoring our soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God provides us protection as our daily bread. He looks after us so long as we're with him, which he is. He is with us. We are with him. It's very easy to discount 90s gangster rap, particularly in church. But I think Coolio's version of this verse is the perfect example of how a life without God's provision can turn out. I never thought I'd be reading gangster rap lyrics on this stage, but here I go. Coolio writes, As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take a look at my life and realise there's nothing left. Because I've been blasting and laughing so long that even my mother thinks my mind is gone. Coolio here is saying that he has nothing left in his life because he chose to spend it fighting and causing others pain or having fun and not focusing on the important things in life. We all have a choice. God is with us. But we have to choose to accept him. When we do, his provision can be seen. We can ensure that we are following the path he set out for us by living a life steeped in prayer and understanding that his provision is not about receiving in abundance, but about deciphering the opportunities God gives to us. During the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread, and we often misunderstand that. The line isn't, asking us, isn't us asking God to give us things we don't have today. It isn't request for new phones or bigger houses or better cars. It's the stuff we've been receiving daily. If you didn't get a Ferrari yesterday and you didn't get a Ferrari the day before that, then a Ferrari is not your daily bread. Your daily bread is what sustains you. It's your staple diet, not your daily foie gras. We're not talking about luxury items. It's a prayer of thanksgiving for what you have on a daily basis and an invitation to recognise that you should be grateful for what you have. It's also daily. It's our daily bread. It's not our weekly bread or our monthly bread or our yearly bread. It's our daily bread. It's enough for now. Don't focus on tomorrow. We're asking for provision for today, not for the future. As Luke says a little later on in chapter 12, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world will seek after these things. And your Father knows that you need them. Do not worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about um, praying for all these amazing things that you want because God's going to give them to you. Now we pray. We pray to show God um, our hearts, though he knows them. We pray to communicate with God. We pray to strengthen our relationship with God. But what we need to stop doing is praying for things that are completely material, that don't help you. We need to be praying for one another. We need to be praying for God's kingdom. 
We're going to um, go back into a time of worship in a minute, so if the band would like to come up. Um, but one of the things at the minute that's really on my heart is um, appreciating our church family. And, and that phrase, I think, can be quite difficult. I didn't grow up in church. Um, I went to Sunday school because they gave us biscuits for a bit, and then I stopped it altogether. Um, and it wasn't until I was an adult that I um, was baptized and I let Jesus into my heart. And when I hear the term church family, I think it's really easy to just discount it and go, well, that's just something Christians say. But we're not. We are a family. Whether we like it or not, we are a family under God. And I don't always like everyone in my family. I love all of you all the time, of course. Um, But what that means is we have to start to appreciate one another. We have to start to pay attention to one another. We have to start to be together as a family. So, The band are going to play through um, the next song we're going to sing without singing. And in that time, just two minutes or so, I'd like you, as you're stood up, to just walk around the room. And I want you to talk to one person you haven't spoke to today. Just like we did before. So you should have that one thing in your head. And if you can't think of anyone to say, anything to say to that person, I just want you to ask them what they had for dinner. Just go up to someone that you've not spoken to today and ask them what they've had for dinner. Because that person, that person is your, within your church family. So we're going to do that, and then at some point during that, um, we're all going to start singing. And I don't want you to go back to your seats. I want you to stay where you are to worship. I know. I'm so sorry. It's time we worship together. I said that the uh, age-old church uh, issue. I don't, know if, I don't know that it's an issue because it's not really. But if I went out that room before you all arrived and came in with my blindfold, I think I'd be able to point at where most people are sat. I always sit over there. I don't know why. But we need to get up and we need to start mixing together. So we're going to um, uh, talk to one another. We're going to sing together. And then I'm going to come up and pray for everyone at the end. <laughs>